God loves you. He really loves you. And he wanted to reveal himself so we could know him. And together we could help the world. And so that is why we have the Bible. The Bible is his word to us. But so many people don't understand it. Or they've just been told the wrong things about it. So many things affect the way we interpret the Bible, look at the Bible, or think about the Bible. And you know what? Too often we become bored with the Bible. So this is a podcast to hopefully refresh our relationship with the Bible and in turn refresh our relationship with God. My name's Ken and I'm your guide on this refresh journey. And my prayer and hope is that it would be a fruitful one for both you and me. So welcome to my podcast. Let's dive in. Welcome back. I wanted to uh, go ahead and finish the Sermon on the Mount before I took off for another week. So there'll be a pause in this for a week or so. Maybe a little less because this is actually, I'm recording a couple of days early. So I'll put this up there, schedule it for when you get this live. But I just wanted to make sure we finish this epic discourse from Jesus before you know we have a break. So... With that said, we are in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, is where we left off from last episode. So I'm going to start reading and just give you my thoughts as they come up. Once again, I don't really plan this out. I don't uh, read beforehand. I'm just kind of reading and giving you my thoughts as they come. As someone who studied the scriptures a lot and who just has a different mind, the idea is to sort of, you know, hopefully help you see some new angles or new thoughts or maybe just get you thinking about the Bible yourself. So... Here we are, verse 12. Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's a very familiar saying that you've heard before. This is uh, the golden rule, right? So this is what Jesus has talked about in the middle of his sermon here. Well, it's kind of near the end, or more near the end part. But he is saying, Look, you're so religious. You're trying to follow all the law and the prophets. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were all about checking off the boxes. They were all about acting good, doing good works. And Jesus says, look, forget these hundreds and hundreds of commands. I just want to basically tell you one way you can just sum it all up and not worry about all that stuff. So he's saying... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And I love this because it's like what you wish. You know, I wish they would just do this. I wish people would do this. I wish they would treat me this way. I wish they would ask me that. And it's funny because a lot of times, even in our churches, we wish people would reach out to us. You know, we say, nobody nobody says hi to me. And yet here Jesus is saying, look, guys, if you wish people to invite you to lunch, invite people to lunch. If you wish people to say hi to you, say hi to them. If you wish people to, you know, get to know you, get to know them. And this would actually solve a lot of our issues. All right, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. So here Jesus is just saying, look, don't go with the crowd. If you're just going along with the flow, if you're just going with the crowd, if you're going with the main culture, if you're going for people-pleasing or the general acceptance of the day, you might miss it. He's saying, my way, my kingdom, it may not be where everyone's going. So he's saying, there's a narrow gate. 
saying the wide one's easy. Why is it easy? Because you're going to get pats on the back. You're going to get approval. Everyone's going to think you're okay. They're, you're not going to get judged. You're not going to get persecuted. The narrow gate's a little harder because you're going to go against the grain. And he says, but that, that wide way, that leads to destruction. Once again, kingdom life and the kingdom way leads to life. Whereas when you go another way, it leads to death. It leads to destructions. It leads to your, your soul drying up. And that's what he's talking about here yet again. He says, you know, those who go that way, psh, that's everybody. He says, the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so it's true in the grand scheme of things, those who find it are few. But at the same time, Christianity is the major religion in the world. So it's really not that few. And obviously the plan here, as we'll see at the end of Matthew, is Jesus is saying, you know, go let the whole world know about me. Make disciples of the whole world. So the goal is always the nations. The goal is always the whole world. And yet he says it's few, which is a little interesting here. And um, I'm wondering, too, if there's two levels to this. And if there's entering the kingdom is few, or if it's those in the kingdom who basically take the kingdom path those are the ones who will have life and if that if it's the secondary which that's kind of a hard argument but you know you could make it if it's if it's the second one then that would explain maybe why there are so many christians around the world who aren't really experiencing full life right we have a lot of zombie christians out there anyways Verse 15, Jesus continues, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves, sorry. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is talking about prophets and teachers. He's saying you will recognize these people by their actions. Measure their lives against what they're saying. And if they in their lives are not showing good fruit, well then they're probably not good trees. And beware. So Jesus is not saying that we are to look at just everyday people and judge their fruit to see if they're in or out or saved or not. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about false prophets. However, there is a general idea here that he goes into that good trees bear good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit. And so there is an element that if you've been redeemed, if you're in the kingdom, if you've been you know, renewed in your spirit, if you have Jesus clothed over you and the spirit of God in you, you should be bearing good fruit. And fruit can be defined in a lot of different ways. Character, reproduction, when you think about fruit, there's these different elements like that. But one of the ways that I practically think about bearing fruit is in relationships. In every encounter with another human, you're going to bear fruit. And some of that fruit's going to be good and some of that fruit's going to be bad. And what I mean by that is when you encounter with somebody and you bless them or that you, you go to encourage them and, and they, they actually are encouraged. You're bearing good fruit in that relationship. However, if you go to encourage someone and you see that they're discouraged, something dysfunction there. You intended to bear good fruit, but you actually bore bad fruit. And I actually think this is an incredibly useful tool for growth 
because every interaction I have, I can evaluate and say, what kind of fruit did I bear? You know, was I short, tempered, and did I make make that person's day worse? There's there's different things I can look at, and these bad fruit bearing moments are great times of introspection to see where do I need to grow? And even ask the Lord, what is it about me that is bearing this bad fruit? Help me identify and change. Now, that's kind of a side note because he's really talking about false prophets here. But like I said, this podcast is where my mind goes. So, oh well. (laughs) Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so now Jesus is really kind of laying it on thick here. And he's saying, look, just because you identify me as Lord doesn't mean you're in. And this is also very relevant to me because, you know, I grew up in a Catholic home. And so I was religious, but I wasn't, I didn't have a relationship with God, right? It was more about the religion. It was just the kind of the tradition, the religion, and I enjoyed it. And... So I, I actually called Jesus Lord, and yet I didn't really know him. So I can relate with this um, from that standpoint, but it also is, it's, it's a bit alarming. So he says, you know, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and on that day, meaning in, in the end times, when the end comes, when Jesus returns, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is very scary stuff, right? Who is Jesus talking about here? Who is prophesying and casting out demons and doing these things in the name of Jesus, and yet Jesus doesn't know who they are, or they're not actually in the kingdom of God? And one thing that I'm not sure about is who this applies to. One thing I do know that happens a lot when people read this is it makes you worried about your salvation. Am I am I one of these people? And lastly, I think that if you're worried, if if this is you, then it's not you. I really think the people who are in this category, the ones who aren't in the kingdom but are casting out demons in Jesus' name and Jesus says, I never knew you, I don't think they're worried about their soul at all. I don't think they're, you know, um, teachable. And so I think if, if that's something you're worried about, uh, really don't, you don't need to be. Okay. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat down, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and a great and great was the fall of it. So Jesus is saying, look, I just gave you the core teachings. I just gave you kingdom teachings. I just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Don't just listen to these words and do nothing. He says, if you, if you just listen to all this stuff and do nothing in your life, if they have no bearing on your life, if you make no changes, if you don't apply them at all, well, that's like building your, your, your spiritual house on sand. It's not going to stand. In other words, it's going to be washed away and you're, there's going to be nothing to show for it. So if, if you don't do anything with these words, if you don't do anything with these teachings, it's as if you never heard them in the first place is really what he's saying. He's, he's saying, but if you do 
build upon these things, if you do act upon these things, they will build for you a foundation that will forever be there. So if you apply these words, if you take action upon Jesus' teaching here, he's saying your life will be forever changed because you're going to build a house that will forever be there. So that's, that's a kind of a nice promise. I mean, it's a warning, but it's on the flip side, it's a really nice promise. So that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the end of the discourse that Matthew puts together for us. Um, and the end of chapter 7 says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. All right, what's going on there? Well, basically, the teachers of the day, they would teach what the scriptures say. And here was Jesus saying, you've heard it said. He's saying, here's what the scriptures say, but I say, right? He says that, right? You have heard, you know, you can give a certificate of divorce for your wife, but I say anyone who looks upon another woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. So here Jesus is saying, with the, with the personal pronoun, I, he is saying, look, I'm adding, I'm I'm expanding, I'm fulfilling these words of Scripture. I'm taking the law and I'm bringing it to a whole nother deep level. And I'm applying it to you in a different way. And so that is really what Jesus has, has just done. He has just taken this whole thing and flipped it upside down. And that really is what the kingdom of God and, and is about. And that's really what Jesus does. is He's taking the normal religion and he's turning it upside down on its head. He's saying those who are who are in are not necessarily in, and those who are out and and not allowed in are welcome, right? He's saying those people who who have been kept out of God's stuff, you are you are welcome. Please join. You're blessed. He's saying all you religious people who think you're pure because you give certificates of divorce or because you don't murder. He's saying, look, you are not pure at all. You are a complete fallen wretched mess. You need a savior. All you people who have been told you're a sinful mess, you are forgiven. Come on in. And so there's this constant changing and churning. And as Jesus does this more and more, you begin to see why the religious leaders who had authority in the church and who also had influence over the government of the time, how they start to feel very threatened. Because what Jesus is doing is he's dismantling their entire world. And it's not only their world, he's actually dismantling people's view of them. People view them as holy, and Jesus is saying they're not holy. And he's also accusing them of being hypocrites, of being actors who wear a mask, who aren't sincere, they're not genuine. And so you see how both personally, professionally, and systematically, Jesus is dismantling everything about these leaders' lives and so it's not as surprising or out of nowhere when you find out that they eventually want to get him and they want to get him good. And we'll see as we continue to read Matthew that they try to get him and they can't. And that's when they finally say, forget it, let's just end him. And we'll see that at the end of the book. I don't want to spoilers here at the end. but um, So that's, that's the end of chapter 7. This is a quick one for you today because we didn't have much left. But I hope you enjoyed it. And we will pick up in chapter 8 in about a week or so when I uh, return from my travels. Have a great day and keep enjoying Jesus because he sure is enjoying you.